This is Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, sorry, wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy me from gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I was looking for our guest preacher. I was like, looks like I'm up. He's just in the back. Um, guys, John Scalambro, many of you uh, know him, um, but it's kind of wild to think many, many of you don't. Um, and so John and Deanna uh, were a part of Jacob's Well. Johnny, when did you start at Jacob's Well? Do you know that you, like two, three years in probably? Yeah, 10, something like that. Yeah. So, um, Probably for, what does that leave you? Like eight years or something there at Jacob's Well. They're super core here. They did everything. They were leaders here. John was on staff for a little bit um, in a role similar to, to what Jalen's doing. And then we sent John out to, um, we thought to be an associate pastor <laughs> down the shore. Uh, John has ended up now, he's the lead pastor of, uh, of a church called Redeemer, Tom's River, a church uh, very much like our own in, um, in yeah, values and in and, uh, their love of the gospel and all that. And John has done unbelievable work down there, uh, really courageous work down there. And uh, um, we've talked forever about preaching in each other's churches um, just for the sake of, of unity um, in Jersey and because of our relationship, because of John's uh, investment here in Jacob's Well, because of our investment in him. I don't think you'd be slow to say. Um, I want to say publicly that one of the things that I've learned um, – about being a pastor and being around a lot of other pastors is that a lot of pastors are really lonely. And um, it can be hard uh, to manage the whole, like, friendships within the church, friendships outside of the church. And a lot of guys just don't have that second part, the friendships outside of the church. It can be really hard because you need to share burdens and you need to talk about your church with other people. I love you all. I never talk about you. But... Um, <laughs> But no, uh, John, John has become that in a way that we just um, couldn't have anticipated how much of a gift that's been to us. Um, we miss them dearly, but uh, our relationship has changed, and John has become one of the great blessings in my life because he provides me uh, a friend outside of uh, here. Um, we talk every week, um, I would say 
almost every day. Um, we're texting something back and forth. And some of that is, is really just fun stuff, um, sharing theology together. One of the reasons why he's even preaching in this series is because he preached this series. We preach a lot of stuff together at the same time. Philippians, we went through that uh, at the same time. That's been a joy. But also real burdens, carrying stuff for each other. Um, John and I confess sin to each other. Um, and so uh, for those of you who have been, been around church for a while, you should ask, does, does your pastor have friendships outside of the church? And uh, I would tell you he's going to be preaching to you in just a second, um, that my primary relationship in that way. And so, uh, so I love this man uh, quite deeply. Um, and he's a huge blessing in my life. Um, love, love, love what he's doing down at Redeemer Tom's River. Uh, his wife is here. His kids are here. Um, hey, Deanna's back there. You can say hi to Deanna later, but um, oh, one more thing so that he doesn't have to tell you this. We're going out of order. For those of you who are watching closely, we're doing, is this the seventh church? Yeah, this is the seventh church. We're actually on six. John, uh, he, he drives a hard bargain. He said, look, if I'm coming, I got to preach. No. Um, something happened where it was kind of sort of, yeah, he was like, I, I, I preached this one. I didn't preach this one. I said, I don't mind switching them so that we can make the, the Sunday work because this is a gift uh, for him to be all the way up here for us this morning. Um, it's worth saying, uh, John knew Mark uh, Perlowitz, and, uh, and uh, we've been talking about that this week, and so he's not unaware of what this loss means uh, in our community. But, um, and, and in some ways, it's providential that you're preaching today. Um, it, it's a grace, it's a gift to me, and I'm sure it'll be a gift to our church. And so, uh, so with that introduction, um, please welcome up Pastor John Scalambro. You can clap for him, you can clap for him. There you go. Am I, I think I'm on. There you go. I stole water from the other room. Oh, what's up? You're good? Okay. I'm good. I'm good. All right. Oh, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? It's, um, it's so good to be back here. It really is. Um, Coming back to Jacob's Well is always really interesting because um, I was texting with Scott. He didn't know what I meant by this, but it's like it's like visiting your childhood home. And I had a really good childhood, and so like there's so many memories, there's so much joy that just kind of floods um, our family when we come here. All three of our kids were dedicated right up here. Um, I'm like choked up. Jeez, man. Um, and um, yeah, Pam, Sarah, and Josh. I'm I'm so sorry. I really am, and uh, I loved Mark. He was just a fun, joyful guy, and so sorry, so sorry. But, um, let's let's jump in here because I'm just like all over the place. Thanks to Scott, he's like saying all these nice things, and I'm just getting choked up. And but before we look at our text, see, that's what I got to do. I just got to start the sentence, and then we're good, right? Before we look at our text, I have a slide, and um, is if if anyone knows what this is a picture of, just kind of raise your hand. Cool. This is like sort of a famous picture. It's John F. Kennedy sitting at his desk in the Oval Office, and at his feet is John F. Kennedy Jr., his son. And a couple things, right? The Oval Office, it was instituted in 1909 by William Howard Taft, and, and if I'm wrong and you history people know I'm wrong, that's fine, but just pretend I'm right. And, and since then, it's become one of the most significant symbols of the presidency, and it's the official office of the presidency, and his primary place of work. 
And so the President of the United States, he's one of the most powerful people in the world, one of, I'm sure there's other people that are more powerful, but he is one of the most powerful people in the world. And in this particular picture, John Jr. is playing at his feet under his desk in the center of the Oval Office in the White House. Now, I used to imagine what it would be like to live in the White House if my dad was the president. Now, thankfully, we have that powerful film from the 90s, uh, First Kid, to give us some insight into what that would have really been like and, and to help us understand what it would be to be a child living in the White House. And, and I bring this all up because our passage this morning takes the idea of political power and influence, and, and it kind of flips it on his head. And, and where we end up, for those of us who conquer, is, is not simply a seat on the floor of the Oval Office, but a place on the very throne of King Jesus, which is, is kind of cool and, and, and pretty big and, and really exciting for those of us who have placed our trust in Christ. This is where we're heading, but there's a lot of road that we need to get through before we get there. So some history about the city of Laodicea, because we're looking at the church of Laodicea in Revelation. It's about 10 miles north of Colossae, and it's south of the city of Hierapolis, and that's going to be important in a few minutes. Right now you're like, I don't care about the geography of Laodicea, but it will be important. It was a wealthy city. It was centered on banking, medicine, and clothing, issues that also will show up in our text in just a few minutes. But the point is that this was a city of affluence and prestige. And that desire for affluence and prestige had actually seeped into the church, causing God's people to long for worldly prosperity at the expense of serving Christ. They were seeking worldly prosperity at the expense of serving Christ. One commentator puts it like this, the flourishing church was exposed as partaking of the standard of society in which it lived. It was spiritually self-sufficient and saw no need of Christ's aid. Right? It partook in the standard of the society in which it lived, and it was spiritually self-sufficient. Like Even that, just to think about being spiritually self-sufficient, is, is somewhat of like an oxymoron. Like You can't be spiritually self-sufficient because we actually need to rely on the Spirit of God in our lives in order to function as followers of Jesus. Honestly, in studying this passage, I couldn't help but be reminded of, of so much within American church life that, that tends to bend towards the spiritually self-sufficient. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, we are in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the church in Laodicea, verses 14 through 22. And I'm just going to read this first verse right here. It says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And so right from the start, we got to flip all the way back in our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 65. And it says this. It says in verse 16, it says, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. In Hebrew, that word truth is amen. In fact, it's the only time, only other time in the scriptures where that word amen is used to describe a person, particularly God, and in our text, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And so what this is getting at is that, is that Jesus is more than just the God of truth. He is the truth. He's more than just the God of truth, the, the God who carries truth with him. He is the truth. That's important. 
It also says that, that not only is this the words of the amen, it's the words of the faithful and true witness. And so again, we're describing, Jesus is describing himself here. He's, he's saying, I'm the faithful one. I'm the one that bears witness to what is true in this world. If you look at me, you know what reality is. If you follow me, you're following this path of reality. And, and then he says this, he says, the beginning of God's creation the beginning of God's creation. And, and particularly in this context, again, if we flip back to Isaiah 65, after he talks about being the amen, it says this in verses 17 through um, the rest of the chapter, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem. And be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinners a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and, an, they shall not build and another inhabit they shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and a dust shall be the serpent's Food they shall not hurt or destroy all in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Why did I read all that? Because right there at the beginning of our text, Jesus is articulating that this, this story of new creation, this, 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 this goal that we're all marching towards as followers of Jesus, it all started with him. It all started That's what I did. I pushed the mute button. It all started at the moment he was risen from the dead and new creation was unleashed into this world. And, and, and the cool part is, as he's preaching to this church in Laodicea who's having some struggles, we're going to see in a few minutes, he's saying, you could be a part of that. You can actually join me in this project to bring about new creation. All those things that we read in that passage, while it's something that we're all looking forward to, it's something that we can be about here as we live our lives in faithfulness to Christ. We can, we can bind up the brokenhearted because, yeah, right now there are brokenhearted, but yet we have this privilege, this unbelievable privilege and calling to be the means by which God's bind, binding up the brokenhearted, to care for the ones who are struggling, to care for the ones who are going through whatever they might be going through, and, and we have that privilege. And when we do that, when we actually participate in that work, we are being used by God to unleash new creation, even these little tiny pockets. And yes, yeah, so, so as we look around this world, like, it's going to be a mess, right? Like, we know that. We experience it. I mean, like, like seriously, like, you know, I preached this sermon, like, two years ago, and, and I was laughing because I'm going through it, and there's some stuff in there about, like, what's going on in the political world. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, <laughs> it hasn't really changed. Just different players, no big deal. Um, but, like, that's not who we are to be about, and that's what I think is really important because, because what this church in Laodicea is struggling with, it's allowing the influence of Laodicea to infiltrate and, and have its way with them. 
and they're starting to adopt particular ways of life that, that really have no business in the church. And so right from jump, Jesus is like, this is who I am. I'm faithful and true. I'm, I'm a true witness. I'm, I, am, I am the amen. I am the beginning of God's new creation. In fact, let me read to you from Colossians. It says this, and just listen, I don't have this up on the screen. I forgot about that, sorry. He is the image of the invisible God. This is about Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Right there, the firstborn from the dead. He is the first fruits of new creation. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And, and even this creation language, John, who, who we think might have wrote Revelation, he also uses this language in, in, in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so this idea of creation and new creation is something that is just like, like woven deep into this book of Revelation that we're looking at right now. And Jesus is saying, look at me and understand how it works, and then go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. But, but let's see. Let's, let's keep going here. I don't know why I bring this up because I end up just not even reading it. But, right, verses 15 through 19. I'm just going to read verse 15 and 16 really quick. It says, and I know your works, he says. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so what's going on here? Jesus says that he knows their works. And actually, if, if you look at all the letters, as you guys have, he, Jesus seems to know a lot, right? He just tells you who he is in verse 14, and now he tells you because of who he is, he, he knows some things. He knows about Ephesus. He knows, he knows their works, their endurance, and how they cannot bear with evil. He knows Smyrna, their tribulation, and their poverty, and their slander. He knows Pergamum. I know where they dwell, and, and Thyatira, the, the love that they have, their faith, their service, their endurance. Sardis, he knows their works. Philadelphia, he knows their works. And right here in Laodicea, he knows their works. He's, he's well acquainted with the works of the churches. He's in their midst, as we see in the beginning of the book of Revelation. Jesus is right here. When two or three are gathered in his name, he is present. And, and, and because he is God, because he's, he's the same God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, the second person of the Trinity, he's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. Like he knows everything that's happening. He's aware of it. He's engaged in it, and, and, and that means he can speak to it. And what does he know about this particular church's works? He knows that they are neither hot nor cold. They're lukewarm. They're lukewarm, and so it says he spits them out of his mouth. He, this, is, this is something he's not exactly thrilled with. A couple things, though, right? Like Jesus is not saying that he would rather we either be on fire for Christ or raging atheists. Like that's not what he's saying. He's not like saying, like, you're, you're kind of like halfway there, and I'd rather you just not believe. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here. A couple of things with the history, right? We talked about where Laodicea sits. And so the north was Heriopolis, who had a water supply that was hot. In the ancient world, that was medically useful. 
It was, it was a useful source of water. To the south, Colossae, they had a water supply that was cold and fresh, pure and life-giving. See, Laodicea didn't have a good source of water, so it had to pipe it in. One scholar says it like this, by the time it arrived, it was lukewarm and dirty, fit only for spitting out. In fact, it was generally held to be true in the ancient world that hold, cotton, cold and hot water or wine were beneficial for one's health, but not water which was lukewarm. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus is, is getting into their world. He's trying to use an example, comparing their Christianity, their faith, to the water supply they were all very familiar with. Some of you might be old enough to remember driving over the Outer Bridge into Staten Island and smelling something. Anyone know what I'm talking about here? The Arthur Kill landfills. And, and you would smell it the minute, it's like, it's like you drive over the Outer Bridge and all of a sudden, you're just like hit in the face with this, this aroma. And it's not a pleasing aroma. It's, it's a horrific aroma. Now, now it's, you don't smell it anymore. There's a park there. Um, from what I understand, it's quite lovely. But the point is, is that like, if, if all of a sudden Jesus was to be like, yeah, your, your faith smells like the Arthur Kill landfills, you kind of be like, oh, man, really? Like, that's no good. <laughs> that smells bad. Like, that, that makes me want to throw up. Exactly. Exactly. So he's landing in their world. He's saying, this is what it's like. And they're like, probably hearing these words, and they're like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, our water's the worst. Like, and they're probably thinking, like, remember when you, you accidentally drank it? Yeah, yeah, and you, like, threw up everywhere, and it was, like, a really horrible day. And, like, yeah, yeah, we've all had that experience, right, of accidentally drinking the water in Laodicea and just vomiting everywhere. It's like, man, it's the worst. And so they're starting to, like, play it in their heads. They're like, oh, my gosh, this is what Jesus is saying about us. Oh, my goodness. Right? Your faith smells like the Arthur Kill landfills is what he's saying. In fact, I think... You, can, you were able to see them from space. It was like, what's going on here? What's happening? Jesus is, is warning them. This is a warning passage. He, he's, he's saying, like, guys, like, there's something going on here. There's something going on in, in, in your church, in this city, with the Christians in this place. That's, that's not okay. In fact, it's offensive to me, so much so that I am, I am going to vomit you out. I, I don't want any part of this faith because you keep on moving yourself further and further away. You keep on wrapping yourselves in, 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 in something that is just not of me, and, and you look way too much like Laodiceans. You look way too much like them. You taste like them. You, you sound like them. You act like them. You value the things that they value. And, 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 and you need to remember who you are and where you hail from. You're supposed to be a blessing to this city. And, and what's happening is that you're just becoming like them. And there's no distinction. And that's that's kind of what's happening here. And, and, and he goes on, verses 17 through 18. He says this. He says, for, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, then I counsel you 
to buy from me gold refined by fire. Why? So that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and, and solved to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And so, so what's, what's happening here, right? So while this church might be rich and prosper, prosperous according to the standard of their surrounding culture, Jesus describes them as wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. A couple things really, really quick. Like in order to be rich in the ancient world, in, 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 Rome, in the Roman Empire, you, you kind of had to be in bed with Rome. Like there were things that you, you had to be a part of their system. You had to operate within their structure. And so automatically he's like, the fact that you guys have what you have is, is a clue to me that there's a problem here. There's a, there's a problem here. And then he says these things. He says, you're poor, blind, and naked. And those are important because if you remember the historical context, this was a city centered on banking, the medical field, specifically ophthalmology, which is so interesting. I read that in a commentary. I was like, oh, that's fascinating. And clothing. So the very things that, that they're claiming, which is all a part of their city, which is all a part of, of, of what their city is known for, Jesus is like, yeah, no, I, I know you think, you're kind of doing well, but but you're you're failing at every single point, every single point, every single point. And so Jesus gives them some counsel. He says, "I counsel you in verse 18 to do a few things." He says, "Buy from me gold refined by fire. Why? So that you may be rich." And and even this this passage right here, gold refined by fire. This, this concept shows up a few times in the scriptures, and, 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 and it's the idea of, of, of gold. Gold, which is precious, right? We, we, we like gold. Gold's nice. I have a gold ring, right? I mean, who likes gold? I like white gold specifically. That's just my taste. Although as I get older and I'm starting to really embrace my Italian heritage, I'm, I'm longing for yellow gold. But this particular gold's different. It's, it's purchased from God himself, from Jesus himself, and it's refined by the fire, which means that it actually had to go through something pretty powerful, pretty intense, in order to produce the beauty that exists in it. This kind of gold, is, it's, it's cross-shaped gold, right? Not a cross, but maybe. Um, for, for me, maybe. <laughs> Big one. Um, <laughs> maybe a horn. Um, it's cross-shaped gold. It's gold that, that only comes through, through suffering, through, through, through self-giving sacrificial love. It's the kind of gold we're talking about here. He goes on. He says, I counsel you buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness. I mean, like what's happening here is, is, is Jesus is preaching the gospel. He's saying like, you need to come to me. You need to know me because, because you're filthy right now. You, you need to come to me because, because there's something off about your lives and the only place where you might find wholeness and the only place where you might find peace, the only place where you might find salvation is entrusting yourself completely to me. Now, this is a corporate instruction to the whole church, but it's also something that our individual ears need to hear. Where have we traded the gold and clothing of Christ for the riches of the world that surrounds us? And I'm not just talking about like money. 
right? Because that's an easy way to go. But how have we been shaped and formed by the world around us rather than by Christ? We just went through a sermon at our church on spiritual formation, and the question I kept on asking was, was whose hands are in the clay? Whose hands are in the clay? Who is the potter that is molding and forming you and, and, and creating you? Where are we receiving from? From whom are we receiving? And then he talks about salve. I'm probably not saying that right. To anoint your eyes so that you may see. And these people were blind to the fact that they were lost, right? If you remember, you go back a few verses, what does it say? It says, for you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. Like they actually don't see the truth about their lives. They're blind. And see, something happens though, right? Like, and we've experienced it. If, if you've known Jesus for any length of time, when you come into contact with Christ, when, when, when the Holy Spirit breathes life into you, all of a sudden you start to realize things about your life. You're kind of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do X, Y, or Z because you actually have given, you've been given new eyes. We're new creations, right? Something spiritual happens when we come to faith. The old is gone, the new has come. Like that, that's real. That actually happens to us when we entrust ourselves to King Jesus. We become new creations. And that's what Jesus is getting at. Jesus is like, like guys, I, you need to figure this out. Because if you continue in this path, I don't know where you're going to end up. It's a warning passage. It's a warning passage. And so he's speaking to the church and saying, I know that you have claimed to know me, but, but what I'm seeing, what I'm tasting, what I'm coming to understand about you is that you are wandering further and further and further away from me you got to figure this out. you got to figure this out. But what, you know what I love about this? Because, because then he says something in verse 19. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. I, I, I actually really love that verse right there because you, know, you don't have verse 19. You think Jesus is just like coming in guns blazing, just blowing them to pieces, right? But actually what's happening is that Jesus loves them. He loves them. And that's why he speaks this strong word to them. It's why he's pushing them. It's why he's, he's like, I mean, he's raking them over the coals right now. Figure this out, guys. I love you too much to not say anything. I mean, those, those of us who have kids, right? Like when you see them doing something that you know is going to hurt them, you speak up, right? Right? No one watches their, their toddler walk up to the stove and put their hand on the stove and say, not my problem. I don't want to get involved. It's a lot for them. I, let them th- like, I know, like, yeah, there is this sense, well, if he touches it, he'll never touch it again. But let's be honest. Do we really want our kids to burn their hands? Like we, and if you do, and if that's your style of parenting, hey, like, that's cool. I mean, <laughs> that's not how I do it. Um, I know we're a helicopter parent generation. I get it. Like, older folks might be like, well, I, you know, I don't know. That's cool. Um, <laughs> we, don't want, we, don't, we, don't want, we don't want our kids to get hurt because we love them. We, we cherish them. That's what is going on here in verse 19. He's saying, I love you guys. 
I, I love you so much. Please hear these words. Hear this warning. Stop dead in your tracks. Repent. Recognize that this world is actually got its, its, its fingers in you and it's, and it's molding you and it's turning you into something that, that you just can't. You, you can't. You can't. And, and, I, and I keep coming to think like I, I, this feels like it's the state of, of, of American evangelical taking cues from things like American exceptionalism, the, the rugged individualism that, that penetrates deep into the American psyche. We have, we have sought peace and a particular way of life through, through political ideologies that promise us everything, yet they leave us wanting through empty promises. See, we've become rich, but we are poor because we have chosen comfort over sacrifice, and the Lord Almighty vomits this sort of thing out. Why? Because it's not Christianity. Now, before we shout amen, before we start pointing fingers at all the people we think need to hear this, the question we need to be wrestling with ourselves is, is am I part of the problem? Is my understanding of Christianity based on what I see in the scriptures and the witness of the church throughout history, or am I adopting a faith that resembles whatever tribe I most resonate with? Whatever tribe I most resonate with. Two broad categories, right? Right-leaning Christians, we have this idea that we want power and moral influence. We, we want the, the, the world to, to look, and I think there's some genuineness to the desire. We want the world to, to embody what the church is. Oh, my goodness, like if, if they can just get their morals straight, if they can just, like, and, and if we can have our guy in, 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 the, in the Oval Office, right? Like we just looked at it before, right? Like, man, everything would just be, be perfect. We would be there. Like it would be, we would be that city set upon a hill, Right? We have that desire, but, but then there's the left, right? Like, let's not pretend that the right are the only people struggling with this because I do think this is a struggle on both sides. You know, social justice is important. Caring for the marginalized and the oppressed, it matters deeply to God, right? Like, let justice flow down, right? Like, it's, it matters to God, but we actually can't forget that we're also called to be holy as he is holy, which is actually always going to put us at odds with the culture. It just always is. There's certain things that we believe that we're just never going to be able to, like, be on the in crowd. It's not going to happen. And we need to be okay with that. And we need to accept that the measuring rod to, to, to determine whether or not we are, are being faithful is not something that, that is determined by, by people who follow us on social media or, or by a particular news outlet. Like, it's determined by Christ. It's determined by his word. It's determined by the, the history and witness of the church throughout the last 2,000 years. And so it means we're going we're gonna to look a little different. We're going to look a little funny. We might even be, be called all sorts of names. I mean, in, in, in the early seasons of the church, they were called cannibals because everyone thought they ate the flesh and blood of Jesus. They were, they were said to be ancestral because of these love feasts that they were having, which was really just them celebrating the Lord's table, right? Like, and, and they weren't understood. And they didn't, they didn't like fight about it. They didn't go on social media. Thank God they didn't have it, right? They didn't like start a fight there. But that's the point. It's like we're actually going to look differently. 
And, and that doesn't mean we don't participate in the process. doesn't mean we don't engage in the world around us. I'm not saying that we need to flee. I'm saying that we need to remember who we are, regardless of where we stand on, on issues in this world. We need to remember who we are, who we belong to. We need not allow ourselves, like the Laodiceans, to, to get into bed with whatever tribe we might hold more relevance to or whatever. It's massively important for us as followers of Jesus. It's so important that we're marked by Christ, that we're mar marked by the cross. He says he loves us, and that's why he reproves and disciplines us. And so he says, be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Be, be excited about this thing that, that we call Christianity. Be excited about the resurrection of Jesus. Be excited about the fact that, that people need to come to know Christ and that we can baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be excited, be zealous about this. And repent, meaning turn from those things that you know are pulling you away from, from, from Christ and from the community of faith. Right? We have this tendency to want to run away every time something up here doesn't go our way. Right? We're like, I'm out. No, I disagreed with that one point. We need to be careful of that because we belong to one another. That matters. And, and this is what Jesus, again, he's like, he's like Laodicea, like, You've got you to remember who you are, who you belong to. Right? You've got to remember who you are and who you belong to. And he says this. He moves on. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. This is where it gets so good. So good. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the seven churches. And so this is important, right? Like Jesus is standing at the door of this church. He's knocking. He's saying, hey, like, can I come in? Can I come in? Can I, can I, can I dine with you? Can I, can I make this a place of, of, of hospitality? Can, can, do you welcome me? And see, the, the reason why we need to, to get this through our heads, right? Because it's Jesus who is standing on the door and knocking. The reason why all these things matter, why we have to recognize where we need to repent, where we need to, to, to rid ourselves of, of whatever influences we might have, whatever hands might be in our clay, and, and, and because, because Jesus is knocking at the door and, and not our Twitter followers, not Joe Biden, not whoever, like we're accountable to Christ and to one another. We're accountable to Christ and we're accountable to one another. It is Jesus should we open the door, who will come in and sit and eat with us? And those of us who open the door, we also need to shut the door to a lot of other things in our lives. And in so doing, we will be named among the conquerors. We'll be named among the conquerors. But check this out. I think this is really cool. And, and I don't know if I'm getting it right, but I think I'm getting it right. Maybe not from this particular text, but overall the Bible teaches this. It says, the one who conquers... I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered. And so I, I, was, I was sitting there like thinking about this actually last night. I'm like, I'm like, is Jesus kind of saying, if you conquer in the way I conquer? And maybe he is, maybe he is. So I'm going to go with it, right? How did Jesus conquer? Conquered by the cross. He conquered by dying. And, and we can very easily get like, like, amen, like pick up our crosses and like, but what does that mean? It means that Jesus conquered 
by, by laying aside his rights, by laying aside what, what, what maybe should have been important to him, right? He didn't exploit his position as the second person of the Trinity. Right? In Philippians, you guys went through this. It says in chapter 2, if I can find it. Have this mind. Where is it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't exploit his position as the second person of the Trinity for his own gain, but he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why? So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point is, is that Jesus conquered by laying aside his own rights, by, by not seeking his own best interest, but by seeking the best interest of others, by caring for the needs that he saw present in the world, the greatest of that being our salvation, but, but so many others as you read through the Gospels and you see what, what Jesus did, he got his hands dirty, he got in the mix of it and he, he cared and he, and he was nothing but like love and patient except for the people who knew better, right? The people who knew better, he was pretty harsh with them. But, but everyone else, he, he was like engaging them and, and, and not necessarily worrying about whether or not it was going to cost him his life. In fact, he knew it was going to cost him his life, and, and that was his whole entire goal. But, but the point that I'm trying to make, if we conquer as Jesus conquered, in the way that Jesus conquered, in the manner that he conquered, which is cross-shaped, right? Like uh, something I've been saying a lot to my church is that not only are we forgiven by the cross, but we're formed by the cross, it actually shapes who we are, and not only individually, it needs to shape us as a community. That's what we're called to. We're called to, to pick up our cross and, and follow Jesus. I bid you come and die is what we're called to. That's, that's kind of what's happening here. And in this particular culture, in Laodicea in particular, it didn't seem that they were about one another. They were about... They were about their, their, their finances. They were a banking industry. They were about their medical community. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty lofty uh, profession. They were about, they were big, big in the fashion industry, their clothing. And Jesus is like, hey, that's not, that's not who you're about. Like, you're about, you're about the kingdom of God. And, it, and that's going to look different. It's going to feel different. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change you. It's going to give you, you know, less influence in the world around you. And, and that's okay. That's okay. Because if you remember, you know, I, I died, I was alone, and I died. And then, and then he was raised to new life, the beginning of new creation, and he was seated on the throne. And, and that's where we're heading. Like, that's, that's the thrust of this passage, that if, that if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And so... so you know, we're more than, than JFK Jr. sitting at the feet of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office, we're, we're on the throne with Jesus. And, I mean, what a picture. Like, I'm trying to actually picture what that is. Like, what does it mean that I'm going to actually be seated on the throne with Christ? This, like, are we on his lap? Like, is it a big throne and everyone is there? And, and honestly, like, this can be silly to think about, but it was actually fun to think about because I'm like, like what is it going to look like? What is it going to mean that we're all on the throne together? Like, are we like, like you know, when like little kids 
are told to like sit down and they all try to sit on one seat and they push each other off. Like, I don't think it's gonna be like that, but it's fun. Like, I'm sitting there imagining it. It's like, we're gonna be on the throne. We're gonna be with Christ face to face, ruling and reigning alongside him. That's our destination. That's where we're headed. And that's good news, Jacob's well. It's really good news. And in fact, what, what it says, if I can find it, it says in Ephesians that not only are we heading there to this throne, but that, that we're actually presently seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Like that's where we are now. And so not only are we going there, but in a sense, we're already there with him. And so what that means, because we're already there ruling and reigning with Christ, is that we do those things, is that we, we lay aside any worldly ambition that we might have, and we, and we serve with one another. We serve the needs of the poor. We care for the brokenhearted. We bind up their wounds. We, we come alongside people. We do not exploit what we have for our own benefit, but rather whatever has been entrusted to us, we use it for one another. Like, it's so interesting because that Philippians passage where it talks about how, how, how who Jesus was and, and who he became and, and all these things, is, it's so interesting because, like, Jesus was, like, the guy, right? Like, he's firstborn of all creation. He's all power, all authority. Like, he is Yahweh. Like, he is God. And so what's interesting, though, it's because he is God that he decides, I'm going to lay this aside for the good of the world. And so we're called to go and do likewise. We're called to go and be a blessing to one another, to care for needs. To, it, it's, I mean, I can keep saying the same thing over and over again, right? But that's what ruling and reigning means. And, and, and it's not just where we're going to be, it's where we presently are. It's not just where we're going to be, it's where we presently are. That's good news. That's really good news. And we, and we conquer the way Jesus conquered. And I know that's like some of us who are like really in tune to like what's happening in like the evangelical world where, where there's a lot of finger pointing going on right now. Who's being brought up on charges here and this, that, and the other thing. And it's frustrating. And the reason why it's frustrating because there's something in us that knows that's not how Jesus did it. So why are they doing it? And that's what we need to all guard ourselves against because what can end up happening is we start just, just seeing everyone else that's doing it wrong and we take our eyes off of ourselves, off our own communities. We actually get wrapped up in, in this Twitterverse, whatever it is, right? And we forget that like, oh no, what really matters is what we're doing here, what's happening like on the ground in, in our community here. Because we can feel right, we can feel really good about ourselves when we point fingers at people who we don't know, right? It feels good, right? It's like, ha you're not like you. You know, I was pointing at Tim. I'm not like you. <laughs> but the reality is, is that, like, sin has its way of kind of getting into everything, right? And so we need to be aware of that. We need to recognize that. that yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm going off on a tangent right here. <laughs> he says, right, he, I, I mean, I love this passage. I really do. I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong thing. Right? I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And then he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so my, my challenge to us this morning is, is do we hear what God is saying to us? 
Do we hear the words of Christ being spoken to us this morning? Are we wrestling with that question, whose hands are in the clay? What are we actually allowing? Who are we actually allowing to influence us and shape us as we try to follow after Jesus? Where are we being discipled? You know what I, I love? Like, I, I follow Jacob's will very, very closely. Um, Scott and I like, I, like Scott said, we text often, and, and I love what is happening here. Like, I'm just, like, I'm jealous of it a little bit. Um, I actually texted him the other day when he sent me a picture of your discipleship course. I was like, oh, cool. Um, but, like, discipleship matters here. Discipleship matters here. The, the hands of God in, in, in the clay of, of your souls matters here. And so to encourage you, like, your leaders here care deeply about you, and they're, they're doing whatever they can to, to create those spaces where, where the Spirit of God can form and shape you into the image of his Son. That's what's happening here. And that's, like, that's an encouragement to me as I watch from a distance. That should be an encouragement to you. And, and, and to challenge you, allow that to happen. Allow that to happen. Intentionally submit yourselves to what's happening here, to, to, to the work that's being done here, because, because it works. The stuff works, right? Spending time with Jesus works. Submitting yourselves to, to, to the teachings of the Scripture works. Being in community and challenging one another and calling one another out on sin, it works. They're actually means of grace. Being here on Sunday mornings works. Shutting off your TVs when you're getting frustrated at whatever news you're watching, it works. It works. Not going on Twitter and, and scrolling and getting angry works. Engaging in a social media fight, choosing not to engage in a social media fight, that works. It works. And it actually forms us into better people, better followers of Jesus. And, 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 it, and we don't just remove things, but we pursue Christ. We, we run after him with everything we have. We do, it, we do it individually, and we do it together as followers of Jesus as the church. And so that's good news. That's, that's, I think that's all I have to say this morning. There were a lot more jokes this morning than when I first preached it. I guess that's what happens when you go home. You start to act like you were when you were a kid. Um, so <laughs> but, um, but let me pray for us, and then, um, and then we'll transition to communion. Um, Father in heaven, we love you so much. We really, really do. And... I'm so grateful for this church here. I'm so grateful for the work you're doing here. Um, I'm so grateful for the leaders here. And um, yeah, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the love you have for your people, that you discipline your people. Um, that's love. That's care. That's, that's grace, Lord. That's more than anything we can possibly um, want or, or imagine, Lord God. You, you genuinely care for us, and you move towards us, and you call us out. And um, help us to follow you. Help us to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.